welcome to Explore Being Outdoors with Claire Bright. Today I am joined and honoured to welcome Dr Elizabeth Cripps. She is a Senior Lecturer in Political Theory at the University of Edinburgh. She is a moral and political philosopher and highly acclaimed author. Her latest upcoming book is Parenting on Earth, as well as previous publications, What Climate Justice Means and Why We Should Care, Climate Change and the Moral Agent. Her earlier career started within journalism before focusing on academic life. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello. Hello, nice to be here. Um, so I want to kind of bring it right back, because obviously you've had such an incredibly high-achieving career so far, but um, I want to kind of draw you back to where it all started. Um, and you did originally a BA in philosophy and politics and economics at Oxford University. Um, when you started in journalism, what did you enjoy the most about journalism? Um, I've always loved writing. That's always been something that's been really important to me yeah. and that I've loved doing. So that was definitely a factor in it. But I also, I mean, I was a student journalist before I then moved on to become a professional journalist for a few years. And I just always loved the, the communication side and the kind of the camaraderie of working as a team. There's a sort of excitement about being in journalism yeah. and sort of working together to, to produce this product and, and get the ideas out there in the world. So, so yeah, the combination of, of, of always loving writing and the sense of, of communicating with a wider audience, which is something I've always valued. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the wonderful thing about kind of the idea of sharing ideas through literature is a kind of shared platform almost where two people kind of interact, even though you might not ever meet the author that you read. Um, I'm very honoured to meet you today, but um, it's that kind of interplay, isn't it, between someone writing an idea and that enjoyment of someone receiving it as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I really like writing now for a, a general audience. I mean, I love the academic exchange of ideas, but it felt really important to be communicating to, but also yeah. getting ideas from a wider audience, from the activist community, from the community of parents. There's, there's just, it felt important to, to be having that conversation at a much wider level than only within academia. Yes. And, um, and do you feel at the moment, obviously within the academic circle, that you have really, because obviously your focus is on climate change, do you have really kind of forward-thinking conversations around the subjects that you're passionate about, such as climate injustice? Um, do you think kind of people are kind of listening to your viewpoints? Do you think there's a kind of, is the movement growing in, in that direction? So this, I mean, so within academia, there's this um, a very um, sort of committed and, and an amazing kind of community of climate justice scholars, and yeah, there's there's really interesting work being done and exchange of ideas. Um, I think part of the reason I wanted to talk kind of to and with um, a wider audience is because. To some extent, it's, it's like the climate science. I mean, I think there are some things which are very clear to people who are kind of working on this, on the mm -hmm. philosophy, on the justice side, that climate change is this fundamental injustice and that the onus really is on us if we live in, in rich countries like the UK to be doing what we can to change that and to challenge it. And there's also 
I think, a lot of, of clarity at the philosophical level about the fact that, yes, when it comes to international agreements, it really should be the richer states that are, that are take, picking up the tab for tackling climate change. Yes. So on the one hand, we have this kind of consensus in the academic literature about a lot of things. But on the other hand, where politics is, it's so far behind that. But it mm. seems really important, as with the climate science, I think, to become a communicator as well as an academic and, mm. to, and to talk to a wider audience. Um, in terms of the climate justice movement, yes, I do think that it's growing, absolutely. Um, there is much more awareness um, of, of climate change as an issue. So just for an example, the um, Yale um, Communications do a, a, a study where they, they look at the different percentages of, of the population within the US according to their different attitudes towards climate change. Mm -hmm. And the proportion of, of American adults that are alarmed about it has gone up considerably um, over the last five years. I think it's um, from 18 percent to 32 percent that was in 2021 including jumping by nine percent even just over 2021 so there is I think really increased awareness and of course we're seeing that as well in the the, Greece, the, the increase in the prominence of activist movements um, mm -hmm. around climate change climate justice it's interesting that you say as well about that kind of difference between the academic sphere and the political sphere that that that's interesting to me because it's kind of like why is it that there's a kind of a step back in politics? Why is there a reluctance almost to kind of bring in more conversations? Um, is it because we're more economically driven um, and we focus on the economics? Um, is, is kind of a big factor. Um, and I think potentially there is an opportunity for um, governments and you know politics to have a more kind of open-ended kind of discussion with people like yourself um, in the academic sphere about kind of some of the issues that that we face and the the research and the literature behind that um, and allowing that discussion and I suppose it's kind of an ongoing process um, but I'm really interested in kind of where your interest started because obviously you um, you support other academics you support PhD students and you're very interested in climate change and climate justice um but is it something that you've kind of always been interested in or is it something that you were interested in as a child growing up or where did that first kind of interest begin within yourself that's an interesting question i mean i think i've always always or almost always been fairly environmentally aware so um and i think had and my parents encouraged me to develop a kind of, I guess, a sense of justice as a child, mm. but also a love for the natural world, which I very much had growing up and a kind of awareness of the fact that that, that was under threat. And then when I started my MPhil and, and then my PhD um, in London in the um, sort of early 2000s, I was... I was still very aware of that, but then I think I became more and more engaged with the philosophical literature and aware of this as a really salient kind of ethical issue and about about the natural world, but also fundamentally about human beings and the injustices that we do to one another, which are completely bound up in, in, in the harm that's being done to the natural world. So it's sort of recognising, I think, the, the climate justice dimension and the communities that are threatened by climate change has been a, a an ongoing and an important learning process for me yeah and I think I think that's something which potentially even myself 
we you know we are so kind of caught up in the facts and the statistics mm. behind you know the climate change and as you said the scientific data we don't always look behind that um um, in your book, What Climate Justice Means, um, I was really drawn to your ability to make it so accessible for a reader to understand the impact of climate change. Thank you. Um, I just, I, was, I, I found it really poignant some moments within the book. There was a moment that I was particularly drawn to where you describe um, somebody in Bangladesh. Um, if I just read this bit here, it says here, um, 11-year-old Maruf Hussain, his school and house flooded. His eight-year-old friend, Iqbal, drowned. Um, and, and you go on with other uh, details as well. But you said, this is what climate injustice looks like. And it's the only the beginning if we don't take collective action. Um, I think you create such strong and vivid images for the reader. Um, do you feel that that's a... Obviously, that's your skill, your past kind of journalist skill coming in. Um, but do you think by creating those kind of images and allowing people to see the person behind the statistics, do you think that promotes uh, climate justice uh, more prominently? I think it was very important to me to try and make sure that some of the sort of real people who are are being sort of desperately harmed by mm. climate change that the stories those images became sort of salient in the book and that's because I think it's I mean it's very easy to have a kind of abstract debate about this at, mm -hmm. a, at a philosophical level but fundamentally this is about human beings and it's yeah. about human beings who are being killed whose lives are being destroyed because of the way that we are living in countries like this and that is just such a clear-cut moral outrage but it seemed really important to me to say look this is actually what's happening when we talk about the numbers we are talking about every number is essentially a story a human being with a personal tragedy and it was important to to, to say that um, important I think because it helps yeah it helps people to recognize what is going on for what it is um, and important because yeah I, I wanted this to be engaging to a non-academic audience and the, and the sort of second part of the title of the book so it's called what climate justice means and why we should care in kind of making that why we should care point I mm -hmm. think it was really important to to stress these stories and yes it's it does make it I think harder to read it certainly made it harder to write but I was sort of thinking you know it's it's appropriate that those of us who are reading and writing about this in, in a country like the UK, that we, we should find it painful because what's happening to people on the ground because of climate change is, is infinitely more painful and we need to recognise that. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right to do that. Um, I think it's really powerful and really prominent. Um, I think, I don't know if you agree, maybe perhaps some, some literature out there almost avoids that. Um, they, it kind of, the focus on the, the statistics and the facts is perhaps not an easier approach, but uh, less less challenging. Um, would you agree with that? Do you feel that it's kind of it's a lot harder as a writer to kind of get behind those stories? I think. I mean, I suppose to some extent as academics, we're encouraged not to be too emotive. Mm. Um, so that so there is definitely that the kind of 
the, the sort of sticking rigorously to the argument or to the facts is, is possibly, you know, an aspect of, of some, and I certainly wouldn't generalise, um, of, of not all, but some, you know, academic approaches. And maybe it did help that I used to be a journalist in that it really mattered to me to tell tell the, the real stories whilst bringing out the philosophical arguments. Yes, okay. Um, and I, I'm, I mean, I, I really admire the book and I'm, I know you've got a new book coming out as well, um, which I'm really excited about too. And I'll put the details um, at the bottom of the podcast for listeners as well. I strongly encourage anyone to read it. It's a fabulous um, book and I'm looking forward to your next one. Um, in terms of kind of our next steps in society, um, what kind of more, what action do you think we could and take um, to help climate change further? So, I mean, there's there's things that need to happen at a political and a corporate level, and I think those are absolutely crucial. I mean, we need to be moving immediately away from fossil fuels. There needs to be the support for adaptation by those countries predominantly in the global south and those communities who are often the already marginalised communities within countries like this in the, in the US who are going to be most affected by climate change, mm. even if we get mitigation. So it, it has to be both mitigation and adaptation and done in, in a way that doesn't impose the costs on those who are, who are vulnerable, who are most vulnerable. But in order to make that happen, I think as, as individuals or as kind of community level groups, there's there's a lot that we can do and need to be doing in terms of putting pressure on politicians, um, everything from, from you know civil disobedience and protests to petitioning MPs to kind of more conventional style lobbying mm-hmm. to supporting the NGOs and groups that are, that are, that are pushing for, for political change. And then there are also things that we can do in terms of, of as well as voting actually voting with our consumption making not supporting companies that are particularly damaging to the environment changing our lifestyle choices now of course it's much easier to change our lifestyle to make it more low carbon if we have the political infrastructure in place and for some people it's going to be impossible to make the changes without that I mean for example if public transport is really expensive or just isn't there you're kind of driven to have sorry you're forced to have a car um, or to use one um but I think that there are there are things that we can do if we do have um, relative privilege and some kind of financial capacity. We can make those choices and send a message by making them moving mm-hmm. towards plant-based eating or active travel. And I think the other thing I would say is that, that so much of this, both in terms of the society we could create and the choices that can make as an individual, are actually really positive things to do anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was um, for my new book, um, Parenting on Earth, I was talking to a consumer psychologist about the impact that kind of our very consumer-driven materialistic lifestyle has on children and teenage and it's actually can be really detrimental to their mental health mm-hmm. and actually it can be much better to be stepping away from from sort of consumerist focus short-term throwaway things that we that we buy all the time and focusing more on engaging with nature on on that on, on, on traveling and doing things in a more or active way so as well as the kind of physical health benefits there are also psychological benefits so it can be if it's done you know it can be a win-win I think yeah I really like I really like that I, I love the fact that it's again a positive message that actually is doable um and the 
the outcome is not only you know the the broader kind of climate change etc but it's actually yeah you can make a real positive impact on your own life um and you know i'm really intrigued and really interested in in kind of the process as a parent myself about those little changes that we can make um and i think it's also you know kind of getting that guidance from um other people if perhaps you're not so sure about how you can make those little changes you know reading literature um being kind of actively involved in kind of speaking to other people is a really good way of kind of getting that guidance and that feedback if you're not 100% sure about um what it is you can do because i think sometimes the reluctance is from people is that they don't always know how or um they're kind of they're not sure so um yeah so having that guidance is really really important really powerful you talk about um kind of the importance of nature and nature connection mm-hmm. um i'm very interested in nature connection and um, but in terms of what being outside means for you um do you like being outdoors? Do, is there a kind of a special place that you like to go to um, to connect to nature? Um, do you make it as part of your kind of daily life? Um, how does kind of connecting to outside be, mean for you? It's, I mean, it's absolutely crucial to me. It's always been part of my life. I was mm. very lucky in that my parents were very outdoorsy. We did lots of camping, lots of climbing, lots of hiking. And that's always been part of my life. It's something that we do now with our children. So um, lots of time spent on, on beaches or, you know, walking up Monroe's or even just, you know, walking around. I live in Edinburgh and I'm very lucky in that it has the most amazing kind of local parks and, and, and quite wild feeling spaces. And yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it's, I would say it's, it's actually crucial to my mental health to be able to, to spend time outside, to be in that kind of space. But there's something, there's a, a beach that we go to in Northern Ireland, which I've always been to since I was a child and my sister and I whenever we get there and we go there together every year as soon as we arrive we just kind of stand there and breathe in because it just feels like it, you you can breathe properly for the the first time in ages and there is just this sense of kind of peace and well-being that you get from being in wild places as well as you know excitement and adrenaline if you're doing things like climbing yeah. but there's also I think now now I think about this having written and taught and read a lot about climate change and climate justice there's also I mean I guess both a sense of of privilege um now being in these kind of wild places in Scotland because they are still there and a lot of the kind of beaches in other parts of the world are already you know absolutely covered in plastic for example Mm -hmm. but also a sense of their vulnerability so you know we 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 if you're standing in a wild place that you love now it comes with that sort of sense of you know I can't rely on this being here for my grandchildren in the way that my grandparents probably could have relied on it being there for me. And that that does change, I think, how it feels to be in those kind of spaces. Yeah, there's like a fr- uh, kind of a frail moment as well to that yeah. engagement. That's so interesting. Um, and I think, yeah, I think sometimes we forget that, don't we? Um, like, it's that sense of appreciation um, and it's very easy to enjoy something um, without it kind of realising that, as you say, it might be lost. Um, And it's so important to kind of engage with nature 
but also to kind of be part of this wider discussion of climate change and these kind of, as you say, these kind of stepping stones of, of making personal changes so that long term we all have these amazing spaces that we can just breathe and kind of just be um and it kind of brings us back to who we are as human beings um thank you um i, I have been so honored to meet you today um, thank you. and i i really wish you the very best success with your latest book um thank you and um i really hope that um more people are kind of inspired to kind of um, think beyond the statistics, think beyond um, the facts and think about the emotion behind um, what what we all need to be thinking about, which is try to try and change our world for the better. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you very much for having me. fantastic conversation i really enjoyed meeting her and thank you for listening to explore being outdoors